this is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, and welcome back to the Rebel Author Podcast, episode 13. Today's podcast is all about creating diverse characters and I'm speaking to Joan Dempsey, a longtime friend and I am just delighted to both speak to her and be covering this topic as it's important to me personally. But first, to last week's question, which was around business planning and what kind of business planning methods you like. So a couple of comments. The first one was from Tim Seabrook, who said having a business plan in front of your workspace so you know where you're at and whether you're going to be able to take on other things is such a simple thing to implement. I couldn't agree more. And yet it's something I haven't really done. Um, and Tim agrees, saying it's it's not something most of us are doing. Uh, he continues to say that I know being part, uh, being at the start of the business journey, uh, this is something I will definitely need to do, especially as mine is a partnership with a partner on another continent. And I think that, you know, having a business plan is something that most of us need to do that we don't necessarily do, um, perhaps because you know, we're these creative types, we see our work as creative work. And quite often, we forget that actually, we are running a business, guys. Um, you know, we get royalties in, that means we are running a business. As soon as you publish that book, you are running a business. And I suppose it's this constant battle between left brain, right brain, creative brain, uh, business brain, and is something that we need to balance. Uh, Tim also pointed out that Andrea had mentioned a business planning article and um, template and I have now gone back and edited the show notes uh, both on Podbean, my uh, podcast host, and also on my website blog episode host dedicated to that episode. So if you would like to get that, you can go back now um, and uh, get the article and business template. Tim also pointed out that the last episode was a uh, swear word free. What? Uh, I'm clearly letting the fucking side down. And there's the sweet little F-bomb just in case I lose my mind and don't swear in this episode either. I mean, Jesus, I have standards to keep up, people. Uh, next commenter was Val Neal, who said she's terrified of setting up a business. She listens to a lot of podcasts on marketing strategies and uh, for business, but for the business specifically, she feels like she needs someone to hold her hand and walk her through the how to do of all of that shit. Now, I completely understand. Um, I still get terrified on a daily basis of things that I have to do. I mean, I'm meeting my accountant this week. <laughs> What's more terrifying than that? But, you know, there are so many things like, uh, take this episode, for example, before I could even record the intro show notes, I had to problem solve. The My audio, for some reason, had recorded really quietly and... 
yeah, couldn't really hear me. So it was a very one-sided podcast. It's difficult when you were running a business and I was afraid, what was I gonna do if I couldn't get the audio fixed? Um, but we do, we problem solve and all that you can do is take it one step at a time, one task, one focus, um, you know, one problem. Once you fix that problem, you can deal with the next thing. And yeah, it's hard. And sometimes you wanna have a tantrum. <laughs> I know I do. But, you know, it is so worth it. And that is the only thing that I can say, you know, there is a community out there, people that you can ask. Um, you just have to do the thing that you're afraid of because that's when you know that you're growing and stretching. And hey, I managed to fix the volume. So go me. So today's question is, who is your favorite diverse character or favorite diverse book? I had oh, like a ton of recommendations, but I tried to pick a book that I felt really deserved some more limelight. So hopefully loads of you guys are gonna go and buy it. Uh, the book I am recommending is called Dreadnought and it was written by April Daniels. I think I read this book last year, though I may well have read it in late 2018. I can't quite remember, but I believe it's now a trilogy. Um, it, there's definitely two because uh, the second book is on my TBR. But anyway, this book is about a uh, protagonist called Danny Tozer, who is a transgender superhero. I love the story. I love the portrayal. I love the diversity. It's a super cute superhero story, aside from, you know, the fact that it is a diverse book as well. Um, just the story is cute and I love it. And I love the superhero and I love the world building. And yeah, I just, I loved the story, let alone the fact that it was wonderfully diverse with, you know, a, a fantastic portrayal of a transgender character. So I highly recommend it. Um, and hey, go and read the rest of the series too. I will leave links to the story, uh, sorry, the book in the show notes. In my own personal update, <laughs> I got a little excited last week because I was very close to finishing The Anatomy of Prose. And guess what? I did it! <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, calm down. Calm down. Calm down, Sasha. I always do that. <laughs> oh my God. So awkward. I'm not I'm not even going to delete this, even though it's horrendously awkward. Um, but I always do the, um, you know, uh, the office. R Ricky Gervais's ridiculous office dance when I celebrate also. <laughs> Anyway, moving on. Um, yes, I finished The Anatomy of Prose and oh my fucking God, I am so glad I finished that book. I can't tell you how much it means to me. Um, it, had, it had been over a year since I had finished a book. Um, yeah, over a year. I think the last time I actually published a book was the 4th of January 2019. So actually, it was even longer ago um, that I'd finished a book. And yes, okay, in 2019, I also wrote 75,000 words of um, Trey, the third book in my young adult series, but I didn't finish it. And that's the point. In my warped little brain, it only counts if I finish the book. So I'm not counting Trey yet but hopefully that will be another book I finish this year. So at least I'll get a bigger book finishing tally for this year. Um, anyway, so where am I at with it now? Okay, so last week I managed to do about 40% of the edits until I hit a massive fucking stumbling block. 
go me. Um, and I am now having to break up a beast of a chapter um, and sprinkle it throughout. So that's fun. Um, hopefully I will finish the book, the edit, sorry, this week and hand it to my um, first and only critique partner, first reader, whatever you want to call it. Um, and once she's done, I will do hopefully, hopefully, hopefully minor edits and <laughs> nervous after because it's like the kiss of death isn't it well done Sasha you just screwed yourself there um no hopefully fingers crossed let's be positive PMA people PMA um hopefully tiny edits that I will then send the book to uh editor and then once I've done editor changes it will go to um, a select group of advanced readers for advanced reading and proofing um and then it will be ready for publication and hopefully that publication no I'm not doing it I'm not going to tell you publication date yet I have a date in mind but I'm gonna see if I finish the editing this week first um especially because I also have a metric fuckload of other things to do including a resource download that I'm creating specifically for this book because there are some things that I can't really include in there. I've got to do the workbook for it yet before it can be published. <laughs> That's a whole book. And also record the audio because as I mentioned in a previous episode, I am going to be recording the audiobook for the Anatomy of Prose before I go back and re-record the uh, audio book for the other books. So last bit of personal news, I am on the Am Writing Fantasy podcast this week talking about heroes, villains and conspiracies. So if you would like to hear more of my dulcet tones, then you can uh, check out that podcast uh, because I will put the link in the show notes. The listener rebel of the week this week is Simon Farnell. Simon says, when I was at school, I wasn't great at sitting down and getting great marks in lessons, especially maths, in spite of the fact that I was trying really hard. My parents were told on a number of occasions that my maths wouldn't get me into college or into a good job. Okay, I didn't bother with university, that was probably trying my luck, but I got through college and I'm doing pretty well at a technical consultancy firm in Cambridge. And I feel smug when I think about the naysayers. Like, amen to that. I I had some naysayers at school too, one of which was my French teacher who told me I'd never amount to anything. Ha ha, well, fuck you, Miss French teacher. Who's laughing now? Um, but yeah, like, I don't know why people feel the need to put each other down. Why don't we just be nice? And by nice, they mean villainous, clearly, obviously. <clears throat> but, you know, like, people can be assholes. There's no way of getting rid of assholes, so we just have to give them the birdie and uh, prove them wrong. So, yeah, well done you, Simon, for proving them wrong. If you'd like to be a Rebel of the Week, then send in your story. It can be any kind of rebellion, big or small. And you can email your story to rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com or tweet me at rebelauthorpod. No new patrons today, but a big thank you to all my current patrons who helped to ensure that the podcast continues. And on that note, um, I will be giving you a sneak peek at the Anatomy of Prose this week. Uh, that's because the monthly Patreon bonus post is going out this week, especially as I have finished editing it. Well, no, I haven't finished editing it. I finished drafting it. My God, editing is still a long way away, but hopefully this week. Anyway, 
you're gonna get like a, a like an unedited you know sneaky sneaky lucky lucky at at it so be kind because i don't do commas <laughs> anyway if you'd like to support the show and help to keep it running and get access to all of the bonus essays, posts, sneak peeks, content, etc., etc., you can do so by visiting www.patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. And that's Sasha with a C and not an S. On with the show. Hello and welcome back to the Rebel Author Podcast. Today I am joined by Joan Dempsey. Joan is the winner of the 2017 Maureen Egan Writers Exchange Award from Poets and Writers and named by Poets and Writers magazine as one of five more over 50 writers to watch. Joan Dempsey is the author of the novel This Is How It Begins, which won the bronze 2018 Independent Publisher Book Award for Literary Fiction. The novel was also a finalist for the 2018 Lambda Literary Award, 2017 Forward Indies Book of the Year Award and 2018 Sartan Women's Book Award. Joan received her MFA degree and teaching certificate in creative writing from Antioch University, Los Angeles. She lives in New Gloucester, Maine with her partner and their family of animals. Welcome Joan. Hey, Sasha and everybody. I'm really glad to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. Joan is absolutely amazing and I've known her for quite a long time now. And Joan was one of the very first people who gave me um, official uh, critique, editing, uh, feedback, uh, what's the word, objective feedback on my writing. And I learned absolutely loads from her. So thank you for that. You really set off my uh, writing career on the right journey. Oh, so glad about that. <clears throat> Um, so can you can you tell me a little bit about your own journey? You've been full time writing now for a while. So tell me how you got there and also about your absolutely amazing award, gazillion award winning book as well. Yeah, well, thanks for asking. And um, I'm not quite writing full time, but I am writing regularly, which is fantastic. And the not quite writing full time is just because I have to make a living, of course, as we all do. And so uh, one of the things I love to do is work with other writers. So so really my entire uh, working life revolves around writing either my own stuff or working with others who are writing. So all of that is fantastic. And, you know, really, I started writing fairly late in life, I would say, although I don't know why, because I read books, of, you know, a bazillion books as a kid. It was my favorite thing to do. Uh, but I took my first writing workshop at Grub Street Writers in Boston, which is a wonderful organization. And they were just getting started at the same time I was getting started. And in the first class, in the first workshop I took, a character just appeared to me on the page when we were doing a writing exercise. And I fell in love with writing fiction. And I really honestly knew in that precise moment that that's what I wanted to do with my life. Um, and I've I've done lots of other things in my life my life and I had been bumping around from this and that but I knew then that that that's where I wanted to focus. Um, so the novel, interestingly, this is how it begins, has been out for two years now, which is no. sort of shocking for me to see. But but it's been going great 
uh, you know, great guns for the, for that entire two years. In fact, I just did a gig at a library last week and had a whole bunch of women there from this book group that were, you know, thrilled to talk with me about the book. So that's just really, really gratifying. And I've had lots of great feedback from readers. And it's, you know, it's a, it's a kick to uh, get a book out into the world. And it really is, you know, out of my hands and takes on a life of its own in the hands of readers. So it's, it's a total joy. I love that the, the character that made it into your novel appeared to you in your very first writing session. I think that's like crazy where the characters come from and that she stayed with you the, the entire time. Well, actually, it was a different character that ah. appeared to me. Yeah, it was just that magic of having the character appear, which I, ah, you know, okay. I, I used to hear writers talk about that, you know, the magic of that. And I thought, oh, that's, you know, that's bullshit because <laughs> you're in total control and, you know, writers write. And then I realized, oh, it's actually not bullshit. It does happen that characters come to you and say, hey, write my story. And that's definitely what happened with This Is How It Begins. The main character really took over that book. It's so funny because I think when you really embrace your creativity, these muses or whatever really do just appear to you. I um, so I'm I'm well. The next fiction book that I write once I complete this bastard third novel that I'm I've been working <laughs> on for about eighteen months um, is is a project called The Scent of Death, and it literally now I I I cannot explain this to you, but I walked past a lamp post. And the entire plot, the the all of the characters fell into my head, literally <laughs> in an instant bolt. I cannot explain it. And this thing haunts me. And um, I've now, I mentioned this on Instagram once, and I absolutely love that people are sending me lampposts from all over the world. It's amazing. <laughs> I must have over a hundred lampposts now. But, and I've even brought a little Lego lamppost, which sits on my desk now. It's like, it's like my mascot for this book. And, um, <laughs> but it's just crazy where these stories come from anyway suffice to say the cat the the opening of the book is this character leaning leaning against this lamppost so when i do the launch i'm gonna have to go back there and have a photo with it but yeah i, I love where these stories and these characters come from it's crazy it is crazy <clears throat> that's uh, that's what's fun about fiction right it's just so exciting i know and then also when you can then get your readers involved because they you know there's some random what's the word um i don't know i can't think of the word it's far too late in the evening but you know there's there's like a thing a hook uh, uh, you know, for me, it's the lamppost. And then, you know, all of a sudden, all of these people are completely engaged and, and sending me really cool pictures. Anyway, right. <laughs> I'm going to stop waffling about lampposts. What is this podcast again? Um, <laughs> God. Um, okay, right. So we are really here to talk about diversity. Um, I think in the last, well, probably the last couple of years, but perhaps slightly more than that, there's been a huge surge in diverse books. Um, I particularly write young adult and I know that in my genre I've seen an absolute explosion um, and particularly in, in diverse books that are getting worldwide acclaim. So it, just off the top of my head I can think of Angie Thomas who wrote The Hate You Give which was an award winning, it's been a movie, it's been all kinds of things. And then also um, Adam Silvera has also done several LGBT books. So why why do you think that both LGBT and also other forms of di diverse books are suddenly on the rise? And do you think it's a trend that's going to continue? 
Mm, great question. And, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot lately and talking with other writer, writers about it. And, and part of what I wonder about is if there's really a surge now of these books or if these books have been there right along and they're surging now because of what's happening in, in the culture uh, around the world. I mean, obviously, with social media, um, social movements have a much bigger platform than they ever used to have. So, you know, civil rights, social justice causes... Um, really have a way to get out there. And I think I think that people know that, and so they're looking for books that reflect that. You know, we've got the, the Me Too hashtag and Black Lives Matter, Matter hashtag, and certainly gay marriage has been a huge deal in, in the last years, um, now legal here in the States in, in, every, in every state. Um, so I think that it's, I think it's in the zeitgeist, if you will. And, um, I do think it's going to continue. I don't, you know, most social movements take a few steps forward, a few steps back, a few more steps forward, but we're really, really moving forward on a lot of fronts in a lot of different issues. So I really do think that it will continue. You know, it's interesting. I heard somebody say the other day that, well, I hope we reach a day where, um, you know, the characters in books are super diverse and that's really commonplace. And what's interesting to me about that is that part of what I think is um, really compelling about books like The Hate You Give um, that you mentioned and other books that are like that is that it, it allows us to explore what it means to be a different kind of person. So the idea of it being commonplace almost seems to me like, um, you know, like I wonder what we'll lose if that's the case. I understand, you know, let's get rid of bias and, and bigotry, but certainly let's not get rid of diversity and difference because that's what, you know, that's what makes life rich is that to have people who are different from ourselves. That's so interesting. I feel like my mind just imploded, um, <laughs> like thinking about that because nobody's ever said that to me. And that's fascinating because I, I am one of those people that says, you know, I would really love to get to the point in literature where whatever the diverse characteristic is, it is just the part of the character it is it is not the thing in the story mm -hmm. so you know with angie thomas's the hate you give you know i would love for us to be in a, in a world where they were just characters it doesn't it wasn't about necessarily their skin color or their sexuality or that was just part of their characteristic and but to normalize that obviously you're right would we lo then lose something because we are we you know there is a place for these voices now and that is so magical and powerful and absolutely needed but yeah i hadn't ever really thought about it like that um mm -hmm. there was something else i wanted to pick up but it's now left my brain never mind um <laughs> well you know i, I jump in because i think the um, I would actually agree that it would be great if we have all kinds of diverse characters who are in stories and they're just living their lives. It's not about the diversity per se. Yeah. So that I do like. So commonplace in that way I think is, is terrific. But, but diversity and difference between people, whoever they are, is kind of what, what the richness is in life. So... Yeah, um, and, and that's the reason I travel, because I actually want to learn about the other cultures and, and the other societies and how they 
maybe what their festivals are or what they're what they eat and you know that is part of the fascination of of traveling and meeting wonderful people from different places and and all of that and i suppose you would lose something um if it was so normalized that oh i'm just that is so fascinating i'm going to be thinking about that for days now <laughs> what what you know it's almost a philosophical question you know where where what, can you go too far in the other in the other direction? I've remembered my other point now. One of the things I was going to say is I think social media has both made the world very very small in that you know you are probably four and a half thousand miles away from me right now, and yet we are still able to have a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and and also very very large in that it has opened up all of these opportunities where anybody you know you i or somebody in africa or somebody in china or somebody in in brazil can create their own platform and that has given everybody the opportunity to have a voice which i think is so powerful and that is why we're getting all of these wonderful stories from such diverse you know different backgrounds um so yeah i although i social media is quite literally a thorn in my side when it comes to procrastination it is also <laughs> wonderful for what it has you know the opportunities that it has created absolutely <clears throat> excuse me um so you write diverse characters so could you tell me a little bit about how you approach creating a diverse character what do you think is an is important to ensure that they are realistic as characters yeah i love that question and um you know as we were talking about earlier characters often uh show up and they show up um, not fully formed necessarily although some do but they show up and and then I kind of take it from there. So as a for instance, and this is how it begins, um, as the book began to unfold, I realized that I was going to be writing uh, to some extent about the Holocaust. And I had frankly steered clear of that because I have no family history of, you know, anything related to the Holocaust. And I kind of had that question about, who, well, who am I to write about this? Uh, but the characters uh, persisted, and I decided to go with that. Uh, you know, similarly, my main character is an elderly Polish woman, and I'm not Polish, and I have no background in that area. Um, and, you know, when you write fiction, you're constantly writing characters who are different from you. So the way I really approach it is this, uh, the same for every character, and that is I really try very hard to embody my characters. I, and discovering what makes them tick is really the thing that, uh, that drives me to write fiction. It's really what I love about it. I mean, the, the work that I'm working on right now, for instance, I, I have opportunities to be a firefighter and play hockey, you know, both things I have never done. I have an opportunity to be walking out of prison after having spent 14 years there um, as a wrongfully incarcerated person. I have opportunities to be male, female, uh, brown-skinned, white-skinned. You know, it's, it's just fascinating. And what I really do mostly is try to get inside the body of these characters, heart, mind, soul, body, completely. Um, and in order to do that, I have to do an awful lot of research a lot of times, and I have to um, get outside of myself so that I am not bringing any of my own stuff to the character. 
Uh, one thing I see a lot because I read a lot of manuscripts, I see, I can tell almost instantly if a character is really the author in disguise. And I can usually tell that because the characters tend to be sort of flat and almost strained and they, they don't have a life of their own. And what I'm often advising people is write this character until this character is not anything like you anymore. Mm-hmm. And I don't just mean change the hair color or the gender. I mean, they are a living, breathing creature that is separate from yourself. Um, so, so embodying characters to me is, is the key. Um, the other thing I see a lot is that writers often, they, they're seeing their characters more from the outside than from the inside. So mm. I want to experience characters um, through all of their senses. I want to know what it feels like in their body. I want to know what they're smelling, what they're seeing, etc. And that, that to me is the way to really bring characters to life. Absolutely. Fascinating, fascinating, because I, it's just today, I was writing a section about what really is author voice. And I think a lot of the time when we say author voice, we really mean character voice, because Mm. characters, you know, as you were saying, when, when they truly come alive, they have their own voice. And it's funny, because um, I certainly can still see aspects of myself in in my protagonist in my first series. And I, I'm actually, I've kind of come to terms with it because it was the very first series, you know, and most authors do that. And fine, you know, that is the series that I learned, learned how to write with. But this, this, and, and actually I was putting this anecdote in, in the book I'm writing um, now, which was when I go back and I look at the chapters that I've written for The Scent of Death, it's like reading somebody else's work. I don't recognise the voice or the words and it's so detached from me and yet so completely part of me because I, you know, obviously I have written it and I fully, as soon as I go to the page, the characters just, you know, write. But it's in such a way that's so different from anything that I've ever written before. And yeah, it's this bizarre phenomenon to look at something that you've written and not be able to see yourself but obviously it's just a step and a a point in 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 writing development and also creating you know real characters i suppose mm-hmm. um i think so, the other... you know the, sorry the, the thing that's okay i was going to just going to jump in and say the that that whole sort of journeyman story is very common where people are writing those first novels and and really working a lot of stuff out of their out of their system. And you know, the other thing is, as a writer, you do forget too. You forget what you put on the page. I remember, I think it, I think it was Philip Roth. I heard an interview with him, and um, he he said something about just don't ask me about one of his early books. I forget what he said because you know that was 50 years ago. I don't remember a thing. <laughs> when I was at this library gig the other night, somebody asked me a question about a really minor character, and I was thinking, oh, who is that again? <laughs> <laughs> and it's only been two years, and I was like, oh, right, right, I remember. <laughs> I um, I I have to reread my prequels before I write the next book, and I... I <laughs> I've had quite a few people take the piss out of me because if you could see the number of sticky tabs I have in my own book, it is ridiculous because I just can't remember a fucking thing. I have a 36-page book bible where I put all of my, you know, key names, dates, all of my linguistic things, capitalizations, character descriptions, the whole works. Do you think I can remember any of it? <laughs> no, I cannot. 
but but remembering aside this is a it feels very different the the phenomenon of looking at something and not recognizing it not because i don't recall writing it just because it it just sounds so different but anyway anyway um the other thing <clears throat> that i was just going to pick up on is about the universality of emotion and how irrelevant of you know your um, character's gender or your character's mental health status or their sexuality or their race and or ethnicity the thing that connects all characters to readers is the emotional journey they go on and i think that's you know that's one of the things that makes us human almost mm-hmm. yep absolutely um so i often hear from writers and i think you've alluded to this already a little bit but um from writers who are from less diverse backgrounds so you know who are desperate to perhaps write or include a diverse character in their story but they're afraid of getting it wrong what what would you say to them yeah you know that's that's such a such an interesting question. I think that uh, I think that people are uh, afraid sometimes to write characters who are different. Um, I think they have heard that old trope, write what you know, which I hate uh, <laughs> because I always feel like, sure, I mean, write what you know, but write what you don't know. I mean, that's yeah. what makes fiction fun. Um, and I believe that as fiction writers, we actually have a responsibility to reveal truth through fiction, no matter what genre you're writing in. I mean, the, the whole, the whole thing about fiction is to reveal the human condition. And, and I feel like we should be fearless in that. And we should write whatever characters we want to write. Um, as long as we get it right. And what I mean by that is that it's so important to do your research, both primary and secondary, mm. so that if you're writing a character who is utterly different from you in whatever way that is, that you don't unwittingly um, insert bias that you don't even know you have. Um, and that's that can be pretty easy to do if you're not diligent in doing your research. So I really think it's important that we um, the do the work embody our characters and you know in that in that case just go for it write whoever you want to write i think that's i think that's our our work as fiction writers is to get inside the hearts and minds of other people Mm, mm, absolutely and you know if we don't start being brave we are not going to be we're not going to see this step change continue um and see you know this what's the word this this explosion of normalizing diversity it's not it's not going to happen we have to be brave we have to collectively as a author community um you know continue to be brave and and try Mm -hmm. the things that we're afraid of i was on a podcast the other day talking about fear and how there's there's different types of fear and some fear you have to lean into and some is awful fear and 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 but also more than anything that I have this really bad habit of whenever I'm afraid of something I have to absolutely do it just to prove to myself that I can and um, so yeah to any author out there who is afraid of writing a character but you have a fascinating character um who's from a diverse background just do it listen to both of us and and you know hear us roar go away and and write your character 
Um, what what do you think about sensitivity readers? So I I haven't um, ever used one, um, but I do know that they're becoming more and more popular. So I'd be curious as to what you think about them. Yeah, definitely, and it's a it's actually a perfect segue from what we're just talking about, and really gets to the heart of me saying you know do the research and get get it right um, because. Uh, what we don't want to do is get it wrong. And we do, whether we know it or not, we all carry around unconscious bias um, about whatever it might be that is unknown to us, whatever person or thing, you know, we we just do. It's part of the human condition. And the idea of having a sensitivity reader is to bring someone in who can tell you if that unconscious bias has shown up on the page. Uh, It's interesting. I I have a Facebook group um, that I raised this question in just recently asking if people have used sensitivity readers. And what was fascinating to me is that there were a lot of people who immediately assumed that a sensitivity reader was to come in and say, you must be politically correct on whatever, you know, issue was arising in the writing. And that really isn't what it's about. What it's about is not um, not being politically correct, but making sure that what you are portraying from a character's point of view is what that character in the real world would actually be doing. So it really is looking for those those unconscious biases that that might end up on the page that you don't know are there. So I personally, I'm excited about the fact that sensitivity sensitivity readers have come on the scene, I think it's fairly recent phenomenon. At least I'd only I've only heard about it for the last couple of years, mm. um, and I am absolutely planning to use um, at least one, if not several, sensitivity readers uh, when my when the book I'm working on now is is finished. You know the. Uh, even before thinking about a sensitivity reader, writers have readers who read their work. And the reason we do that is because we don't see everything that's on the page. And as a, for instance, in my last book, there was a fair amount of pretty complex psychology with the characters. And I had a friend who is also a writer and also a psychologist read the book with that, through that lens. So a sensitive, sensitivity reader is the same sort of person. You know, you want somebody who can read your work with a certain kind of lens and tell you if you're getting it right. So I think it's terrific. And I think the only other thing that I would just add there is that I know you said you might use one, you might use several, but I think using several is almost sensible in a mm-hmm. way because... You know, I am a technically a lesbian woman. I'm married to a woman, but my experience and and my biases and you know experience of being a gay woman will be very different to anybody else's experience of that. And so, where I may pick up on things that are you know culturally incorrect or um, offensive, there might be a um, something that isn't. So one of the things that is very interesting, I have a friend who is, I think, 25 years older than me, and she is also a gay woman. And for her, the use of the word dyke is very commonplace. It's a um, word that, you know, back when she was slightly younger, um, was, um, you know, prolifically used, and they embraced it, and they owned the word. Whereas for somebody in my generation, 
generation, it's slightly more offensive. So I think that you, you know, whether you are writing African-American characters, whether you're writing Chinese characters, whether you're writing transgender characters, I think it's important to get, you know, a couple of, of sensitivity readers at least from, from the same background, but with different experiences and different, um, you know, life, well, life experiences, I suppose, because there's always a balance somewhere in the middle, isn't there, to find what is what is not saying the truth no that doesn't make sense you know there's a balance between being too overly correct and trying not to offend anybody and then offending everybody because you're not bringing a truth to the page does that make sense yes it does make sense and and you know certainly we in fiction i believe the character is the character and if the character is offensive then so be it yeah Mm. um and Again, getting getting it right for whichever character you're writing is is really key. And you know, I think one of the things I, I totally agree with you. By the way, that getting more than one sensitivity reader is a good idea. And it's interesting because there are people out there who are um, who are specifically sensitivity readers. That's what they do, and they're trained to look for certain things. So. So I would be looking for somebody who's um, more professionally involved, if you will, with the issues mm. of diversity than just a lay reader who belongs to a certain category. You know, I would hate it if somebody came to me and said, would you read this and give me your gay perspective? Mm. I would probably say, uh, uh, probably not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't think I would do that. Yeah, that's a no from me. <laughs> <laughs> that's a no from me. Yeah, yeah. you know. You have to you have to find the right readers always. Mm. Um, and if you ever find sensitivity readers, please let me know uh, because I have been hunted. There was a website dedicated to sensitivity readers, and it seems to have gone. The website's been shut down now. Um, mm. But you're right; there are people out there who are trained specifically to do that. But I have no idea how to find them, and I've, it's actually been a question in one of my Facebook groups recently. So. Um, yeah, if you ever find them, let me know. Okay, will do. <laughs> um, okay, let's segue for a moment into dialogue. Uh, we're, we're both editors and you also run online courses. Um, well, first of all, would you like to tell us a little bit about your courses? Yes, no, would you like to? <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting. I do have, I have been running online courses for years. Um, There are two running right now. Uh, One is uh, both master classes. One is uh, writing great dialogue and the other one is self-editing for writers. Um, And I'm actually beginning to move away from that because I have been doing it for so long. But I love, absolutely love, love, love dialogue. It's my my favorite thing. Uh, well, I mean, there's so many favorite things, but it's one of the things that I absolutely love about it. And the dialogue class, and, and probably that's why of all the classes I've ever taught, the dialogue class seems to be the uh, the most popular one. And I think my uh, <laughs> my love for dialogue really shows through that. Um, I I have grown to love dialogue. <laughs> um i think that well i've grown to love it now i'm more or less there with my understanding of the punctuation which is just oh my grammar but anyway no this is not about grammar um okay so i know from having um 
done a lot of editing that and also just talking to writers that dialogue tends to be a bit of a sticking point what are the common mistakes that you see with dialogue and what quick uh, what quick tips and tricks do you have for authors to write better dialogue yeah well there are there are I would say a number of common mistakes that I see uh, pretty routinely. Um, so I, I'll share those with you. The first one is um, that people tend to use too many dialogue tags. And a dialogue tag is simply, you know, the said, he, sh- he said, she said. Um, so I see people using far too many tags when they're not necessarily necessary. A dialogue tag really should only be used if it's the only way for the reader to understand who it is who's speaking. If, if the reader can understand who's speaking without that tag, then absolutely don't use it. Um, the other thing that's related to that is that, um, and this is a style thing, we, we are living in a time where the style is to be use tags as minimally as possible and don't stray beyond said and asked. Um, that, you know, that's, that's kind of the, the thing right now is, to, is the minimal look. Uh, but of course, in, in earlier days, there were all kinds of flowery words that you could use as a dialogue tag. And um, so I, I typically tend to steer people clear of those and also not to use tags of things like, um, hello, he laughed or hello, he hissed. <laughs> You know, or hello, he groaned. Uh, these are not these are not ways to speak. So so those are actually called said bookisms. I don't know where that comes from, but that's what they're called, and uh, those should be avoided at all costs. So too many dialogue tags and um, using using non-speech tags is one of the one of the common mistakes I see. Um, another one on the flip side is, and it seems to vary from writer to writer. Some people don't give enough tags and again the same the same idea applies which is that as long as the reader can tell what's being said without a tag go without a tag but if Mm. you're reading a string of dialogue and you think i have no idea who said that then that means you're not doing enough tagging Um, and the final thing that i see with dialogue a fair amount especially with newer writers is that characters voices all sound the same that there is uh, there's no differentiation between them. The dialogue is sort of flat and dull and boring, and that's really the death knell when it comes to fiction. So much like I was saying before about embodying your character um, in order to get that character right, that's really my best tip for for dialogue as well. Embody those characters, get to know them fully, so that you can begin to hear their voices. Research also comes into play here. You know, where's your character from? Research, get online, listen to people who talk, you know, who are in that same place and listen to them talk. Um, And the final thing I would say is always read your stuff out loud. Read it out Mm -hmm. loud to yourself. Read the dialogue out loud. You can hear more than you can see. Uh, Reading out loud is, is really key for getting dialogue right. Yeah, oh, so many amazing tips there. Um, I'm like, which one do I talk about first? Um, <laughs> I'm going to be selfish and talk about my pet hate first. I know uh, we've spoken about this before, but um, I have a, um, a deep-seated <laughs> hatred of one particular method of, of dialogue tagging. So I, I don't know if you have a preference, but do you tend to use said Sally or Sally said? 
<laughs> yeah, I do remember talking yeah. about this before. <laughs> you, you were very adamant about yeah. one way or the other, and, I, um, and you know, honestly, for me, uh, for for me, I I would never limit myself to Sally said or said Sally. Yeah. Um, I typically, if I'm if I am trying to figure out which one I should do that's where reading aloud comes in handy. I'll read it aloud and sometimes Sally said sounds perfectly right and sometimes said Sally says perfectly right. Um, there isn't a rule about doing it one way or the other. Um, there isn't so a what... rule, but one way is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> there is no rule, but Sasha says yeah. <laughs> No, I'm joking, everybody. I'll only hunt you down if you do it wrong. No, I, I am joking. There is no rule. And no, and I think you make a really good point that actually it is about the flow of the sentence. And you are quite right. Sometimes, you know, either of the other way is fine. However, <laughs> my justification, <laughs> um, okay, calm myself, calm myself. Uh, my justification for preferring Sally said is because the purpose of a dialogue tag is to identify the reader. And the fastest way you identify the reader, the speaker, and the fastest way you identify the speaker is by identifying them first, which is to use their name first. So for me, I think um, logic dictates that it should be that way around. But you are right. Um, You know, sometimes it does just sound naturally better the other way around and 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 yeah um so one thing that um a reader can probably get through the word said to get to the name in order to find out who's doing the speaking and second of all i would say that one thing i do see fairly often is an awfully long paragraph of dialogue and then the comma at the end said uh, sally said at the end and that does not work that's Mm. when i would say yeah Mm. put the speaker up in that first line instead of going an entire paragraph and then putting the tag at the very end because nobody knows who's saying what until the very end so people know very quickly who's speaking yeah and i think it i mean you don't want too long chunks of dialogue anyway because naturally people interrupt each other and so you know it but anyway, that's a whole nother conversation. Right. <laughs> um, the, the differentiation um, was something I was going to pick up on. And, you know, for, for those of you who are struggling to think of how you would differentiate one, I just wanted to give one very quick, easy example, um, is contractions. And so for somebody, let's say you have a very posh British person, uh, you know, from a hundred years ago, they are much more likely to say things like, oh, I cannot abide uh, mm. going to the shops today or something, you know, whereas somebody today might say oh i can't go to the shops today you know right. so right. that that right. is one very quick way to differentiate instead of saying i cannot you say oh i can't um right. <laughs> you know yeah so um oh i'm getting all voice over here now i'm about to embody some characters um um <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah so um contractions is one easy way but just you know create a character um bucket and for 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 words that your character might say more often than somebody else do they use loads of flowery metaphors or do they always interrupt themselves or are they do they go on tangents or there are lots of ways um 
um, to create the differentiation. And the other, the last thing that I was going to say is um, about, you were talking about the trying not to use anything other than said or asked. Um, and if you write dialogue with enough clarity, then the tone of what you're saying should be clear anyway, clear enough that you then don't need to say she chortled or whatever. Right, right, exactly. Um, okay, so you also have a course on self-editing. So this same question, really, what quick tips or tricks do you have for writers on self-editing or, or what are the most common mistakes you see? Sure. Um, one of the things that I see fairly often is um, writers will come to me and they tend to have this idea that once their first draft is done, they're done. And <laughs> it's always what? fascinating to me to, to hear people say, oh, I thought I was done when I did that first draft. And you hear that a fair amount after uh, November <laughs> in NaNoWriMo when people oh, cranked, out a, cranked out a draft. Um, so, so I guess I would just say, know that your first draft will never be your final draft. It just doesn't work that way. Um, the other thing I see an awful lot is that, and this is kind of in the same, same frame is, is people believing that they have to write a shitty first draft, that they have to just crank something out from start to finish and that it's not okay to revise or edit as you go along. And uh, when I tell people, you know what, if it works for you to revise or edit as you go, then by all means do that. I personally write that way. I revise like crazy. So by the time I get to the end of my, you know, supposed first draft, it's really more like an 11th or 12th draft. So, so when I tell people you can do that, I often hear people say, oh, I'm so relieved to hear that. I thought that there was something wrong with me that I couldn't write a shitty first draft. So I'm a big proponent of what works for you works for you and you should do that. Um, so other things that I see more specific things is that in the macro realm and the big picture realm, what I see an awful lot is that people forget to put in um, settings, like specific settings and the time when something is happening. Readers really need to be grounded in time and space when they are reading fiction. They need to feel like they're, they're at home, like they're grounded, like they can be comfortable. And if you don't put the characters in a specific setting and you have no idea what time it is, readers tend to get lost. And it's just like a bunch of talking heads on the page. Um, so, so it's fascinating to me how many people do not write actual scenes and put their characters in actual scenes. They just have them talking to each other. Yeah. So that one is huge. Uh, settings and also getting the time right. Um, you know, really just simple time of day. Uh, that, that kind of stuff really helps readers. I, I love that you mentioned that because that was one of the sections that I wrote today. Because I'm I, so I'm writing a book called The Anatomy of Prose, and mm -hmm. that was one of the things that I wrote about today. I actually add a third thing into that, and I always say point of view. So for those who are writing multiple viewpoint stories, I think it's time, space, and head um, mm -hmm. when to anchor a scene. Um, mm, and right. so I had to. <laughs> So I took an excerpt from uh, the beginning, the opening of one of my chapters, and then I had to write it unanchored. It was so hard <laughs> to, to, to take some. I was like, I literally spent about 40 minutes trying to unanchor this chapter. And I was like, oh, my God. Um, once you know how to do it, this is the thing with many. I always find with these 
like writing craft development leaps. Once you know how to do something, um, you you no longer you forget how not to do it so to speak so you taught me about filtering and um i uh, and so i now don't know how to not uh, no wait you, you know what i mean i don't i can't I now do it so when i was explaining what filtering was in the book i was like how do i go back and do this again so it's uh yeah i think yeah anyway it's it's amazing this journey that we that we go on and all the that you just never stop learning i can't believe right how you can right. become a master of something and still be a complete beginner well that's you know that's another thing that i absolutely love about writing is that it is a lifelong learning journey you know all you have to do is read the body of work of somebody who's been writing for years and years and you can see how that writing changes over time and and that continual learning and and just perfecting the craft and you know writing really is all about the journey right there's never mm. any getting there it's just about enjoying the learning and the mastery along the way that's that's what makes it fabulous exactly yeah exactly yeah um okay well this is my favorite question uh <laughs> this is the rebel author podcast so tell me about a time you unleashed your inner rebel Mm, yes. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> well, I think the, I, I would say I've done that numerous times in my life. I am somebody who likes to mix things up. And if things get a little too comfortable or boring, then it's time to make change. Um, so, but the one that's most related to writing and that's most recent is probably, I don't know, maybe four or five years ago. It might be longer. I'm not sure now. But I decided to quit my job, basically, and insist on embracing my writer self. Uh, this was very controversial in my, in my family, in my primary relationship. It really rocked the boat. Um, and, and I knew that I had to do it anyway. I mean, I knew it would rock the boat. I knew my partner would um, be afraid and have some, some fears around me quitting my job, my income producing job in order to really focus on writing. But I also knew that if I didn't do it, I would uh, regret it probably for the rest of my life. So, mm. so I decided, no, I'm gonna take the leap. I'm gonna go for it arranged for me to do that for a year and see how it flew and uh we've never looked back so <laughs> it's totally amazing I, I i i recently hit six months of having left my job and i think before i left i had one type of fear that i would never be able to leave and it's a deep-seated what if i'm poor what if i'm Right. What if I fail? What it, and it's such a um, a crushing fear. But yes. having left, the fear changes. So I am no longer afraid of, um, you know, what if I don't have any money? Because I can just do something else to earn money. Mm -hmm. And but that is such a different mindset. And it, I can't. I don't really know, I, and I'm trying really because I want to record and pr preserve this journey that I'm on and the mindset shifts that I'm going through. But it's so, so, it is life changing. There is no way to express explain the shift in mindset mm -hmm. from before to after. It's almost like you know 
people people tell you what being a parent is going to be like nobody can tell you what being a parent is going to be like until you have a child like mm-hmm. it, it, it is that level of um radical brain <laughs> chemistry change um yes. but it, it's so it's so fascinating that you know so many of us actually never look back and that is the one fear that we all hold before we leave what if I leave my job and I can't afford to live or I have to go back and actually you don't go back because you find other ways because that's right you know going back would be a fate worse than death (laughs) (laughs) that's right well you know it's really true that that I love the saying what you focus on grows what you think about expands and what you dwell on determines your destiny yeah. And it's really true. So if you make a switch and you put your mind to something new, then that's what happens. Mm. <laughs> you develop you 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 determine your own destiny instead of letting fear keep you in a place that you're you don't want to be. I totally agree. And I think that first jump, that first leap of faith on leaving your job is the hardest leap. So mm-hmm. I've had to do a number of leaps since leaving all in a rapid you know in six months time in excuse me in in a six month period I've had to do very what felt like as significant jumps but mentally they were that much easier because I'd made the first leap Mm -hmm. Um, oh I don't know if you can hear but we have fireworks this evening it's November the 6th as we're recording so everybody is blowing up fireworks don't you know I'm recording a podcast how rude Um, (laughs) uh, I don't even know what I was saying yes no so I think that first leap of faith is is the hardest one and then after that you you know it's like it's like training it's like developing it writing it gets easier to make the leaps of faith the more you do them absolutely i totally agree um okay i think the fireworks are going to continue so let's wrap it up here um what where can listeners find out more about you um i can be found at joandempsey.com j-o-a-n-d-e-m-p-s-e-y.com and uh, when you get there, uh, take a look for a tab that says giveaway, because every month I do a giveaway of my novel, This Is How It Begins, plus a $20 Amazon gift card and or $20 check to buy even more books. So uh, take a look for the giveaway tab at joandempsey.com. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time today. Oh, my pleasure. Um, thank you to everybody supporting the show on Patreon. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes as well as bonus material, you can do so by visiting www.patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. And that is Sasha with a C. So thank you very much to everybody listening. I'm Sasha Black. You are listening to Joan Dempsey. And this was the Rebel Author Podcast. Next week, I'll be talking to Chris Kennedy all about how to write romance and romance subplots. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review. (laughs) 